welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. And today is May 21st, 2018. This is episode 238. And my name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we're going to bring back an old favorite with a twist. We'll also go around the bases in the saddest trot around the bases. Well, unless we interrupt you by walking across the third baseline. Clearly. Yeah. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this week? I don't know. I'm actually trying to read it now. I'm drinking a Two Roads IPA from Honey Spot Road. Where is that located by chance? Uh, or do you not have a clue? I don't have a clue, but hang on. The, it's right here. Uh-huh. I'm looking at the bottle. It's right here. It is a unfiltered IPA with wheat. Uh, and there doesn't appear to be any... Oh, Connecticut. Bit. Yeah, Stratford, Two Roads Brewing Company, Stratford, Connecticut. Gotcha. So I would call this clear red sock cherry. Good job. <laughs> I would call this okay. Uh, I, I like would it. say it's it's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. It's more farmhousey than anything else, but it's okay. Yeah, but it comes from your favorite part of the region. <laughs> Clearly, what are you imbibing this evening, Scott uh, Jake? I am drinking a Kosciusk Schwarz beer. Gesundheit. What are you drinking? Uh, this is a Kosciusk Schwarz beer. This is a block lager beer. Uh, heavy caramel notes. Uh, underscore of coffee and uh, left by jake english last week in my house because apparently it is too manly and uh, he's too much of a sissy sissy girly pants it's a black lager from central europe i never would have drank it yeah and I, i've taken this beer and i poured it over ice and i'm drinking it that way <laughs> i did roll up to <laughs> sd studios today and scotty said what what did you do bring a beer i have warm beer to put over ice it's all skunked and ready for you thanks a lot pal no problem if you're interested to hear what it is that we are drinking please join us Drink socially with us and drink responsibly. We're at Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MEGN8606. And with that, let's go on over into the medical wing. All right. And uh, a few things going on. Um, a lot of things going on. Just a few things. The medical wing is is running out of beds. So the one big news that I wanted to cover was Zach Burton um, being announced today that he's probably going to start back up in Norfolk on May 30th. Um, Jake, how big of a deal is this, do you think? Well, since the season is lost, uh, let's rephrase the question. Can Zach Britton come back and be good enough to be traded away? Yes, that's the big question. So I'd say this is a pretty big deal considering that this is the pretty much time where he is going to establish any trade value whatsoever. Yeah, I was delighted to see him doing PFPs. I mean, you know, you never get excited about PFPs outside of uh, March, but he looked, you know, pretty good. He was getting around okay. And as the Orioles get a potential relief pitcher back in the near future, we're also with, with Darren O'Day, whose uh, extended hyper-extended right elbow has, um, well, it's lingered is the best way to describe it. And there's talk now of him having to basically do a few rehab assignments down in the minor leagues in addition to this. Jake, are you concerned? Does a healthy Darren O'Day make a difference on this club? I wish he did. Okay. I wish he did. No, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. And then, Jake, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. And I'm having a tough time reading this because it doesn't make sense. What's Erasmus Colby? I don't know, but it is terrifying. It is a terrifying. Did the CDC thought. was the CDC aware of this? Basically, um, 
Why is Colby Rasmus News allowed on my Orioles feed? What is happening? What is going on here? Well, he is going to begin a rehab assignment May 24th, uh, obviously to replace Trey Mancini. It has to be, right? That's, who knows? I mean, it's this is just an incredibly frustrating situation of nothing that Colby Rasmus showed us while he was up here was any good. There has definitely been a sulliness within our within watching him, and even Joe Angel called him out a few times. Um, if Joe Angel is um, badgering you, as it were, it may be time to hang it up. But let's see what Kobe Rasmus does. Hopefully, he comes back with a haircut this time. <laughs> uh, of course, a huge loss to the organization. Uh, Louis Sardinius still on the DL. I I don't know what we're going to do without him. Mm, yeah, and then of course Gabriel Noah is still uh, dealing with uh, right shoulder inflammation. So. He's not there. That's actually a pretty big loss. We need some sort of cannon fodder to throw out there on the mound when the Orioles are getting pummeled. A guy like Gabriel Enoa, an org soldier, you want to call him triple A or quadruple A, fine. That's the guy that we need, and we need about 10 of them. And then uh, Chris Tillman, of course, still being on the DL, has uh, left the Orioles in this weird aspect of the uh, David Hess slash Miguel Castro, who is actually going to start games this week. So, Jake, Miguel Castro was supposed to start this week, um, got bumped because of uh, a rainout. Um, how big of a deal do you think that is? Do you think that the Orioles should have said, nope, we're going to still give Miguel Castro a start? Or do you think it was one of those situations where, nope, go ahead and play with Hess and rely on Castro in the bullpen just like he's supposed to be good at? Well, Miguel Castro is going to pitch for the Orioles in a starting capacity at some point this year. Sure. So why rush it? They have plenty of time. They waited until it was the perfect moment, mm-hmm. right? They didn't need to rush him. They didn't need uh, suboptimal com- conditions to weigh into the Miguel Castro starting experiment. I think it's fine. You know, wait till a, a beautiful sunny day at Camden Yards when there are 4,000 people there to see it. Miguel Castro, the starter, oh, so can promotion day. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Miguel Castro, the starter, can wait. I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. I, I completely agree with you. Don't think it's a big deal. Would like to see it sooner rather than later, but I don't think it's a significant move that's going to move the needle for the franchise. Sure. Let's go to 280 characters list this week on the Twitters. All right. I want to start with a tweet that I wish that I had written. And this is a tweet from Jeff Sullivan who tweets at based underscore ball. Everyone thinks that the Rays are blazing some new trail, but the Orioles have been using one inning starting pitchers for years. Boom. It's true. That is a true tweet. Yeah. Uh, next tweet comes from, well, it comes from Jim Palmer, and this tweet is simply the best. Jim writes, happy 81st birthday to the greatest. Number five, when you find yourself in a quandary, ask yourself, what would Brooks do? He's the genuine article. Lucky to call him my friend. Hashtag simply the best. And then he throws on about a bunch of ads like Mass and Orioles and Ad Orioles, and he does the old man Twitter thing. Um, you know, Brooks is really the best. I mean, him coming on pregame, I believe it was Friday night, and doing the pregame um, and and talking about, you know, everything that was transpiring with the Orioles and him still having an upbeat attitude. You basically was like, gosh, that guy is so good. And, you know, I was left with this, you know, doom and gloom aspect because that's what Orioles baseball leads me to into at this time. And I think to myself, you know, Brooks is 81. You know, the years are starting to pile up. He has certainly outlived Earl even. Um, I, I guess my question is, when Brooks, you know, does pass away, how big of um, 
how big of a deal will that be in Baltimore? I think it's going to be one of those situations where the town, in essence, is going to shut down. I do not acknowledge the premise of the question. Okay, so you're just going to ignore this. Yeah, I'm just going to ignore it. It's not happening. I mean, but this is a situation where people have named their kids after sure. a player. Yeah. And as much as Cal Ripken is Mr. Oriole for, for the kind of the new generation, Brooks doesn't have that – Brooks has a greater resound in terms of, you know, kids naming their kid after. I mean, I don't see many Calvins out there, basically. Yeah. I, I, Mainly because I think of the whole people are afraid of Tiger aspect, but – I think that uh, – nice. That's a good reference. <laughs> I, I think that, that uh, Brooks remains Mr. Oriole, even yeah. with folks our age and younger. And at this point, you know, you and I in our 30s, we never saw him play. Right. But we saw the people that we watched play honor and respect brooks robinson there's just nothing you can say about him that that jim palmer already didn't say in his tweet yeah so completely agree next let me go to a tweet from ken wyman who tweets at ken wyman sport please tell me hashtag orioles are aggressively working the phones to try to flip current assets for future pieces i'm not confident but i'm begging also hopeful that britain gets healthy asap for trade purposes trades don't need to be made tomorrow but dot 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 Hashtag proactive, not reactive. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. spot on. Yeah. Uh, next tweet goes into the category of, oh, uh, you must be new here. This tweet comes from Steve Phillips, at Steve Phillips GM, former Mets GM, by the way. Um, how about the hashtag Orioles? They had 13 hits in the game against the Red Sox yesterday and didn't score. 12 singles and one double and no double plays. How is it possible not to score? It's very simple. It's called a strikeout. <laughs> you throw on the orange and black. There are lots of ways that you cannot score. Yes. Our last tweet comes from Andrew Stetka, and I'm going to break the rules, Scott. Okay. This is this is unorthodox, but you'll allow it. I'm going to read through a tweet storm oh. from Andrew Stetka. Okay. I believe the kids call this a thread. All right. Okay. Uh, is that and, what a blog is for? <laughs> Andrew, who, of course, tweets at a Stetka, friend of the program, tweets as follows. I legit just got sad when Manny Machado shouted out Brooks at the end of his interview post-game. Hashtag Orioles. Next tweet. I know it's just sports and it's all meaningless and dumb, but realizing he's only going to be with the hashtag Orioles for a short time longer hit me hard just now. Right in the feels. Next tweet. I've been able to compartmentalize it all up until this point, but knowing it's almost over, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Next tweet. I don't really have a great lesson here. I would never discourage fandom, but like anything, it can hurt. It's the, also the furthest thing away from the importance in life, especially today. It's just a place where we can go for joy and comfort, knowing part of that going away is just a bit numbing. Yeah. That was over 280 characters. Well, it was, it was several tweets. I, I think that that actually does capture you know the way I feel about Manny Machado. Like I, I want him to be gone because that's probably what's best for the Orioles, but knowing that eventually he will be gone and will go off to a hall of fame career for somebody else. Somebody else will get to go enjoy that is a little heartbreaking. Um, and so Scotty, I don't, I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but, um, I've started preparing for the post Manny Machado era and it looks a little something like this. That's right, Scott Magnus, it's back. It's time for the Manny Machado watch. Now, one of the original staples in Bird's Eye View shtick was the hashtag Brian Roberts watch. And when that ended, we flirted briefly with the Nick Marcakis watch. And after that, we put the watch away. But it is time. 
the Manny Machado watches here. This is like a hug watch, but on a much grander scale. As interest in the Orioles' on-field activity wanes, and <laughs> wane it should, our attention will surely be focused on which team will pick up the talented rental and how poorly the Orioles will be fleeced. So, Scotty, I'm seeing a lot of rumors, right, in yep. the Manny Machado watch. Uh, a lot of Cubs, a lot of Phillies. There was some uh, discussion of the Dodgers, of the Yankees. Uh, but I think the consensus at this point, so I've seen some say the Cardinals. I think the consensus that the leaders are the Phillies and the Cubs based on need and what they can bring to the table. Uh, does that jive with you? I think it's all direction of the wind at this point. I think everyone is basically saying, oh, look, you know, this team potentially could need, you know, this, you know, all-star like player and uh hey they've got some prospects so maybe they would be interested in training for manny machado i think this comes down to i think the Orioles are going to wait as long as possible and at the very last moment they're going to get an offer and then they're going to say but we really don't like the physicals on this one prospect and then they're going to settle with another offer that isn't quite as good as the first offer but everyone's going to back them up and saying well the Orioles have a track record of basically doing really well with their physicals you're making me sad about being sad. Yes. I think that the trade of Manny Machado in the Manny Machado watch will say a lot about the Orioles. I think that this will go a long way to deciding what do the Orioles think about themselves. Now, you and I have strong opinions about the Orioles. Yeah, they suck. The fans have strong opinions about the Orioles. They also think they suck. But I'm curious about what the Orioles think about themselves. Now, let's let's go back to the Cubs and Phillies, and I agree with you, it's probably not one of those guys. But yeah. let's just go back to the Cubs and Phillies. Sure. Look, if it's the Cubs, sure. that's, that tells us something. Because if it's the Cubs, you're going to get, you know, like something something like an Addison Russell plus a, a very, very, very small piece back. Oh, you think we're going to get Addison Russell? No. <laughs> <laughs> just stick with me here. I've got a whole shtick. I gotcha. It's not shtick. Anyway. You are right. Addison Russell has been mentioned by multiple individuals. Jim Bowden actually mentioned him. Um, and he has been kind of this focal piece. And uh, the Chicago media has been peppering Addison Russell about how he's taking all the rumors. So, yes, Addison Russell and Manny Machado have been linked at the hip in terms of this invisible rumor chain, which is the trade deadline, even though it's not even Memorial Day. Clearly won't happen. Clearly won't happen. But if it's a guy like Addison Russell and, and a you know a, a player to be named later, whatever. Sure. That says to me that the Orioles think they're just a couple pieces away. It's going to be a short rebuild. It's going to be a quick losing window, and then they're back on. But if they go with a team like the Phillies, which is more, you know, here's a prospect package, that says to me the Orioles are acknowledging reality. They know it's going to be a long rebuild. They're going to take all the pieces that they can from a prospect standpoint sure. and try to rebuild. So here's, here's my beef with this. I love Addison Russell. I think he's a great player, but he's not a Manny Machado player, but I will point out this is Addison Russell is controlled through 2024. Sure. So Addison Russell's value is in my opinion, equal to a Manny Machado, but here's my butt. Addison Russell's value is equal to a Manny Machado in the fact that, um, you know, over this time up into 2024, his value would be somewhat equal. But I would see him more of a Jonathan Scope-like player more so than anything else. And that's nothing against Jonathan Scope. I think Jonathan Scope is a great player. But Jonathan Scope is not a top 20 player in Major League Baseball. And the biggest issue with this is, Unless the Orioles are going to have that top 20 player, 
I don't think you can just go out and say, we're going to get another Jonathan Scope player and expect to be able to compete. You don't substitute a Manny Machado and introduce another Jonathan Scope on the team and say, we just got better. I, I, I agree with you. We're, this is instead of point counterpoint, this is going to be point more point. More point, yeah. Let me just play devil's advocate for, sure. for a moment. Sure. Okay. Um, you don't know what you're going to get in prospect land. Sure. Right. And we, the Orioles have waited long enough that the prospects are not going to be that impressive anyway. Right. Isn't having a Jonathan Scope on this team through 2024 a good thing? If, if you have bungled the Manny Machado situation sure. as badly as the Orioles have bungled it, and sir, they have bungled it. Sure. But if you screwed it up that bad and you managed to get a Jonathan Scope out of the deal, yeah. isn't that kind of a win? Yes, if you do it in combination with other things as well. You can't just have that be the one move in a vacuum and say, we're going to rebuild from here. It needs to be a situation where you say, we're going to trade um, We're going to trade Machado, and then we're going to trade Scope, and then we're going to trade anybody else, including potentially a Zach Britton, um, and then more importantly, potentially a Dylan Bundy or a Kevin Gossman, and say, we are going to go out and get talent that is controllable for a significant portion of time, but in doing so, we're also going to rebuild in the process. So I have no problem with that, but... That aspect is you need to start getting players under club control for a significant amount of portion of time. And to, in essence, do exactly like you did in 2012 and 2013, getting a bunch of players that are arbitration eligible and those arbitration eligible players that have value, um, you basically start lowering your payroll accordingly so that you may be able to um, eliminate other heftier contracts from consideration. So let me ask you this. Um, let's forget the the name. Right. Let's, sure. let's forget Addison Russell, the name. Sure. Um, but so we'll, we'll, let's talk about an imaginary name. Let's call him um, Russell Addison instead. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Russell Addison. <laughs> I, this, is a, this is a player I really believe in. This, this, this Russell, uh, Addison. Russell, <laughs> Russell Addison. Uh, let's talk about Russell Addison. Let's say you can get a random player like Russell Addison. Yeah. Um, do, do you think that it's the point at which the Orioles are so bad at, de- at developing talent that getting a Russell Addison is better for the organization the fact that they can't screw that up versus the prospect package that you get back the Orioles can screw up I would say that you know I I, I, the Orioles have not gone out and really traded for position prospect players so by this aspect of saying the Orioles are going to go screw up position prospect players I'm not sure how that really factors into the situation because can we name a, a specific person they've gone out and traded for which is a prospect you know position player and they really develop the last one i can really think of is um mm, jones yeah i mean in all honesty but he was a finished product basically by the time he got here perfect addison russell is i'm sorry russell, russell addison, addison is you. a finished product as well i mean he is to a certain regard what he is going to be and he's probably not going to be any better than he actually is which could be perfectly fine but it can't just be the end-all, be-all, and it can't be the final picture. And I think that to be cert- to, to a certain regard, that's perfectly fine. But the Orioles are going to have to say, what can we do to get that Manny Machado-like piece once again? Womp, womp. And honestly, you know, I, I look at the Cubs, and then I look at the Phillies, and I think the Phillies match up a lot better in terms of offering that higher potential player, such as a player like a J.P. Crawford or Scott Kingery. And it basically tells me, that's a player that potentially could turn into a Manny Machado-like player. Again, not top five player prospect, 
um, but potentially a top 25 prospect. And I'm okay with making that move. I just don't think the Phillies are going to make that move. I don't, I don't see any reason they would make that move. Well, I, here's something, and this is a real question, um, because you've said it twice now, and I want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you've said, you know, that's not a Manny Machado player, or you're not going to get a Manny Machado back. We're not going to get a Manny Machado back. We've no, got not. a Manny Machado, and we've wasted him, right? right. We're, we're going to give him up a 25, and we're going to get next to nothing for sure. him. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get back just what we can at this yeah, point. Yeah, in, in order to get a, a Manny Machado player, you would be looking for a, a top 10 prospect. And again, what we talked about before was, we're probably looking in that maybe 25 to 50 prospect maybe yeah. if we get lucky like yeah. if someone really wants them but that's about as best as we're going to get so um you're absolutely right it, this and this comes back to the point of the Orioles are going to have to make some bigger moves if they want to um, replace with substantial talent um and they're going to have to start playing people um such as an Austin Hayes and finding out is this guy a potential all-star if he's not then where does that leave us? We can't have a bunch of mediocre players. A bunch of mediocre players is going to basically leave you at a below 500 team. Yeah, I agree. But the other thing to keep in mind is, is this a replacement level major league player? Because those guys have value too. No question about it. I mean, we've talked about this before in previous years at Bird's Eye View, which is if you can minimize the aspect of negative war players on your team, Mm -hmm. you can certainly put together a pretty competitive team. But you still need perennial all-stars out there like a Manny Machado who are putting up four to five war season. If you're not going to have anybody post above a three war, good luck. It's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So we will uh, we'll keep you posted, Birdland. We will stay on top of this Manny Machado watch. If you have thoughts, if you catch a rumor, if you have something related to Manny Machado, his trade value, where he might go, please tweet at us. Hashtag the Manny Machado watch and with that you want to go around the bases do we have to i think so Scotty, I guess we got to go around the bases. We have to talk about four things that happened in Orioles baseball this week. So, fine. Let's oh boy. do it. With an off day and a rain out, there aren't that many games to talk about this past week. Uh, but I think we all know how this week went. So, Scott, I want to talk about, well, you know, it's it's me. Uh, I'm not going to do numbers. I'm going to do emotions. You're going to do emotions? And so I want to talk about the change. Not the Peter Brady change. All right, I want to talk about the change that's taking place this year. Uh, when it comes to the Orioles, it used to be this. Hanging around, nothing to do but frown. Rainy days and Mondays always get me I used to hate rainouts. I used to hate it when the team didn't play. But now... When I think about a rain, uh, a rain out or a rain delay, something that will keep me from Orioles baseball, it's more like this. And no, that wasn't just an excuse to get the Beatles on the podcast. Um, there was a time when a rain turtles. <laughs> yeah. 
There was a time when the rain out the monkeys. Monkeys. The monkeys. I prefer the turtles. <laughs> Do you know the turtles play for the Nixons uh, in the White House? Get out. I'm I'm serious. Really? Yeah, I think they were invited by was it Cynthia Nixon? Was that Richard's uh Jake, you're supposed to be my poli sci individual here. I'll look it up for you. I have a blind spot for both the Nixon administration and the turtles. Well, Thank you should you. T- start looking up because the past is now the future, but no comment. <laughs> there was a time when a rainout was the worst possible outcome for any given game day. And now, eh. I mean, it pushes off the misery for one more night, and it makes for fun events like single admission double headers, like we experienced uh, last weekend or two weekends ago. So we've done an episode about how to root for a good team, and we've done an episode about how to root for a bad team. But I wonder about this, Scott. How do we manage the transition from one to the other? What other little changes will we notice as the O's slip into the darkness? For me, it was it was a rain delay. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that I think about is that now we lower the bar. Sure. Right? We don't care so much about wins and losses because those are going to be what they are. Sure. So now you look at moments, right? Oh, there's a great defensive play, or yeah. oh, that's a fantastic home run, or hey, that starting pitcher really did great until he didn't. Yeah. I mean, what else changes for you as a fan in going from a good team to a bad team? So I think the one thing that was perennial during the Dark Ages that we have oftentimes made a big stink of in the past was Toot Blonde. Toot Blonde was something that mm. we made a huge deal about. In fact, coming back to Manny Machado, the topic of Manny Machado's base running was an aspect of like, oh, Manny Machado makes another base running error. I can't believe he would do that. He'll never be a great player until he gets that right. done. Or just the aspect of like, oh, you know, he's not hustling down the line as quick as before. And I think base running is one of those things where we will look back on in the dark ages and be like, if someone makes a stupid uh, out on the base, it'll be like, eh, that's typical. No big deal. I don't know. Danny Valencia really pissed me off this weekend <laughs> in Boston. That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But I feel like we're we're in the spectrum is the best way to describe it where we're starting to you know accept the aspect of toot blondes um in the past it was that one running mistake maybe it cost us the game and now we're at the aspect of well that running mistake was really terrible and then we're going to get to the situation of that running mistake was hilarious that is jack cuss coming into home plate and basically (laughs) falling down so it's interesting that you say that hilarity because uh I have beat the attendance drum sure. for quite some time. When the, the when the team was good, I was really frustrated that people weren't coming out to support the team. You know, in, in 2012, the team was making a push for the playoffs, and they were having to do stupid promotions to get people in the stands sure. in September, in meaningful games in September. Right. Right? And then 2013, 2014, this was a good team. Right. Right? Now, I don't care. Right. If you don't come to the ballpark, it's the Orioles' fault. But having said that— yeah. We are now back to enjoying some elbow room at Camden Yards. Sure. And I have to tell you, there is a certain charm in going to see a Major League Baseball club. Sure. Play another Major League Baseball club with you and 6,000 of your closest friends. I think we're in an interesting age as well, is the best way to put this. Um, We have um, children that are anywhere between 5 and 10 years old. And, of course, I have a youngest one. who I, I'm not going to count in this conversation, but we have a, a bunch of five and 10 year olds as well who are just coming into the aspect of wanting to go to baseball games, but at the same point, maybe not quite having that attention span to pay attention to all the games, but having a great, darn millennials, but having a great time in between innings, dancing to music, doing the floss in between innings, 
for those hit kids out there, that's the one where they put their arms in front and their arms in back, right? Listening to you describe the floss <laughs> may be the highlight of the 2018 Bird's Eye View season. So anyway, um, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, when we've gone to games in, in, in the recent past, it was the situation where, you know, in previous years it was, you know, we couldn't move a seat down and you couldn't move into a different row unless it was a different, a, a certain game. But right now we're looking at it and saying, okay, we want to buy tickets for our family. You know, we can get a whole row to ourselves. And it's like yeah. the whole kids is like, you guys go down there. The adults are going to sit here. We're going to have a conversation, but you just go dance in the middle of the row and we're not going to care about it. And I think that's a benefit um, of basically saying, this is something we could do. I, I also think it's one of those situations where, you know, 2012 was a really special year in terms of, we weren't sure if we were ever going to see that again. So we went to as many games as possible. And that's a financial commitment. Um, that's a time commitment. And to a certain regard, it is nice to say, I don't have to stay up every single night and watch this game and say, this is the point where if they lose this game, they could potentially fall out of the wild card spot. I mean, the season, as we know it, is over. And Orioles baseball has turned into an effectively a white noise aspect where it's more of just a, well, it's on. And it could be interesting to watch, but I have no sense of aspect of, okay, if they win or lose, it's going to make or break my next day. You have no emotional investment. But in 2012 through 2017, it really was a situation where if they lost a close game, you went in the next day and you're just like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it was a bad night last night. And if you if they won a great game, you went in and you wanted to find the first person saying, hey, did you see that game? So I think that's a really interesting aspect and I know certainly me financially as a season ticket holder, I've said to myself, how many of these games do I really want to go to and how many of them do I want to say, I want to trade my tickets up and go to one or two really good games and treat myself. So like, for example, treat yourself. Um, I like I traded a bunch of tickets actually today in order to take my boss and a few other individuals that are from the New York area down to an Oriole game so they could see the Yankees. And that's perfectly acceptable, right? What? Right? That's acceptable, right? Oh, Scott Magnus, when we turn this mic <laughs> off, you and I are going to have words. <laughs> Most of these are travel days. So, like, I'll be on work aspects or out of the country or, you know, in Denver. Orioles fans, you can send your hate mail to Scott <laughs> at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Listen, I just feel like it's a good opportunity for me to go and uh, see the Orioles and see a good team. And then, you know, oh, maybe, um, you know, you know, Get get close on the Yankee sideline. Oh man, can I? Can I? Uh, I desperately need They're to so move. So easy on. to root for, Jake. That's what the national media tells me. Man, I need to move on from this. So, <laughs> I, I'm going to beg you to follow a train of thought here. Get get on board because okay. we need to leave Penn Station. So we're doing a change. Yes. Um, <laughs> you had tweeted out something interesting. You took a picture of the stands when we were at a game. Yeah. Upper deck, pretty full. Pretty full. And your question was this: Is Kids cheer free working. Yeah. So I ask you, Scott. Yeah. Is kids cheer free working? For what I've seen so far, I'm going to say yes. And I think it's going to continue to be um, a pretty decent success, specifically on the, in the upper deck going forward for the rest of the season. I, I, I have been impressed with the attendance. It's funny because, um, you know, I was, I was standing in line to, to get my kids cheer free tickets. Yeah. By the way, if you, if you haven't done this before, so here's what you need to do. If you've already bought a ticket, you need to take your ticket to one of the uh, windows and say, hey, I've got one or two kids. Here's my ticket. I need you know, two or three. And what they'll do is they'll take your ticket and they'll find two or three together 
and then they'll print you three tickets, right? And this, they stamp the kids' tickets, and that. That's so, did the way you do this with your season tickets? Yeah, or you did it with season tickets? Yeah, absolutely. That's cool because when we called on the phone, they're like, "Nah, can't do that." So it's interesting that at the box office they would basically take your season tickets and do an exchange right there and then. Absolutely. Did they do a day of? Yeah, that's cool. Day of. That's great. That's exactly what the Orioles should be doing. And I gave them a bunch of flack for it before. That's exactly what the Orioles should be doing. So it was no problem. But I was sitting there waiting in line. Um, and I got to be honest, at the box office, like through the window, I've never had a bad experience, mm. right? Uh, so the gentleman's in you're the actually, line. You're actually right about that. If you go to the box office, completely helpful. They're like, you you want what? Like, let me make a deal with you, basically. Yeah. Let's, let's barter. So the gentleman in the line next to me was trading, was buying a ticket for Kids Cheer Free. He was buying his ticket and let them know that he had a kid with him. And he said something super snarky like, well, I guess you got to do that these days, you know, give away tickets. And I was like, dude, the box office people do not need right. that from you. Uh, but that having been said, yeah, I agree with you, Scott. I think it is working in the fact that it's getting butts in seats. And I had I had said so. I had emoted on Twitter. Sure. I, I don't want to alarm you, but occasionally I will act out as long as you don't do threads like andrew stetka no but i i um said you know gosh it's really frustrating because my seven-year-old son you know is just at the age where he's supposed to fall in love with baseball sure um you know i'm afraid it won't happen and right. i got chided rightfully so and, and your nine-year-old daughter right yes my quote-unquote quote-unquote nine-year-old daughter so if they ever start carting her you're screwed so so henry uh you know has been to these games recently again we went to four baseball games last weekend um and it's it's all about you know that that kids cheer free stuff get them in the park and just have them experience baseball with you the wins and the losses don't matter you and i may care about it but the kids don't experience baseball but i'd also say too um even during the dark ages also gain a familiarity with the park is another aspect and an intimacy with the park is the best way to describe and i say that on this basis of if you build in those sensory memories, it's one of those situations where when you come back into, let's say, your late teens, early 20s, you're going to want to basically embrace that childhood aspect that you experienced with either your father or friends of yours as a kid as well, in my opinion. So that's that's my opinion. All right, we've, we've spent way too long at first base, just like the Baltimore Rose have. Uh, let's go to second base. And Jake, I ask you this question. Is Dylan Bundy broken? Let me answer your question. With a question. Sure. Was Dylan Bundy ever fixed? Uh, he was fixed for a little bit. So I'm looking over the last 30 days, Dylan Bundy's numbers. Um, he's posting a 9.41 case per nine, 4.09 walks per nine, but his home runs per nine is at 4.91 over the past 30 days. Yikes. Yeah. He's posting a 9.41 ERA and a 9.64 FIP. During this time, he's posted a negative 0.8 f war which is worse than chris tillman um in that same period so jake i asked you what the heck is going on with dylan bundy well i know you're not prepared to answer this question so i apologize but i'm going to answer i'm going to ask it anyway uh is that the fastball i think it is the fastball so um i've actually pulled up a few numbers here um uh, on my screen i apologize you are prepared i am prepared here um so i was looking at brooks baseball um, and I was looking at Dylan Bundy's four seam Brooks, Brooks baseball, named after Brooks Robinson. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, even though it's based in Boston. Um, and looking his four seam, um, the slugging percentage over the past few years has gone as follows: 2016, 448; 2017, 498; 2018, 646. Woof! 
Wolf indeed. Um, now that being said, you know the slider is doing pretty well this year at three hundred slugging percentage. Um, the curveball is getting hit pretty well, um, but that home run per fly ball is at seventeen point six percent, and the home run per nine over the entire season is at two point one eight. So, Jake, I'm left with this aspect of what do we make of Dylan Bundy and what's going on. I mean, the fly ball percentage is a little bit higher than last year at forty nine point three versus forty seven point two. But something's amiss here. Like, is the four seamer really that bad, or is it a situation where is Dylan Bundy all of a sudden not getting so lucky as it were? Well, we were prepared to write him off yes. as a starter. And then we were prepared to proclaim him a, an ace and throw the ticker tape parade. And now, 30 days later, we're wondering what's wrong with Dylan Bundy. Is it possible that he had, you know, three or five or whatever it was, really great starts in a row, and that's the outlier? It's it's possible. I mean, the one thing we could notice, and we don't like to bring spring training stats too much in, but during spring training, he was homer prone. And as much as we like to discount that, one thing does show up pretty well during spring training is if you have a prevalence for home runs, it, it sometimes does transition over it. However, I think we've got to be careful here. You know, you go from previous seasons where you were posting, let's call it 12% home run per fly ball to now 17.6. And a part of me says, maybe you've just had a string of some really bad games lately. And I bring that up because looking at the advanced metrics of, you know, FIP and XFIP, you know, it, it's not as bad as we are making out to be. So far on the season, Dylan Money has an XFIP of 4.20, which is very respectable. Um, he has a Sierra, which is actually one of the best ERA predictors out of any of the advanced metrics at 3.71. And um, the other one I wanted to cover was um, uh, da, 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 was uh, DRA, which is the baseball prospectus aspect where they look at pitch tunneling and take a look at also how well he is doing in terms of um, hitting his spots, as it were. And he's at 3.9N there. So I, I do think it's a situation where Dylan Bundy is probably not that ace-like pitcher that we saw at the very beginning of the season but I certainly don't think that he's as bad as he's been over the past month. So I'm going to pay attention to his next couple starts because here's my actual only and somewhat intelligent thought to think about with Dylan Bundy. Um, when he was good, we were praising his secondary pitches. Yes. Right? We were praising the changeup and the curveball and the slider. Yep. Especially the slider, which is not new, but somewhat new to his arsenal. Yeah. Being the thing that set up the fastball. And if he is able to locate those secondary pitches, he's then able to use the fastball to, to effectively b- right. because he no longer has the electric uh, heat. Sure. So it comes so, back to into the four seamer twister regard becomes the secondary pitch, and the slider becomes almost a primary pitch and tells us whether or not he's going to be effective. My thing is, if he can't locate the secondary pitches, right. then he's got to throw the fastball for a strike. Mm-hmm. And because the fastball is now hittable, right. that says to me that's why you're getting so many home runs. Sure. Right? So I'm going to look in the next couple of starts to see if he's spotting the changeup, if sure. he's spotting the slider. And if does, those things are not effective for him, then the fastball isn't going to be either. Doesn't they it scream Kevin Gossman again, though? It screams like, hey, you did a really good yeah. job with your fastball back in the day, and unless you can develop your, your breaking balls, um, you're going to be a meh pitcher. And this is what scares me is the Orioles have done a very poor job with developing pitchers and specifically of developing um, breaking ball success. So 
I like what I'm seeing from Dylan Bundy in terms of his slider performance. However, a part of me says there's nothing that makes me think the Orioles can potentially improve on Dylan Bundy going forward. So maybe maybe they need to go out and get a pitcher named Russell Addison. Maybe we need to get Russell Addison. That's a great point. All right. Let's go to third base. And Jake, nobody puts baby in a corner. I hate to go back to Twitter and I hate to go back to Jim Palmer. No, wait. I don't hate to go back to Jim Palmer. So Jim Palmer, uh, close personal friend of yours. Absolutely. So uh, Jim tweets as follows. So trying to grasp sending out Caleb Joseph, five for the last 16, throughout four base stealers in the last 10 days, no Sox hitters, and the big Y at Massanoro. So Jake, why do you think the Orioles optioned Caleb Joseph at this time of the season? I I don't know. Here's the thing. The Orioles had uh, uh, a catcher, uh, you know, tandem last year of Joseph and Castillo, mm-hmm. right? And before that, it was Joseph and Weeders. And Joseph was clearly, you know, the secondary catcher. And we have Chance Sisko, who we're hoping will be a real catcher. Sure. We'll ho- we're hoping he will both stay at the position and also develop into a major league hitter of, of repute. Um, so eventually Joseph is never going to be the number one guy. The Orioles decided they were okay with Caleb Joseph. Sure. And Chancisco. And I gotta be honest, Caleb Joseph is not any different than he has been. A light hitting catcher that uh, you know, who who can be capable behind the plate. Right. Now he has been less capable behind the plate. The ding on him this year is his defense. And I think that's happening because he's playing more frequently struggling at the plate and that's you know bleeding over and so you can look at that and say okay well he's you know he's got options go ahead and send him down but you only do that when you have another option sure if you look at at susak and you say that's going to be an improvement over caleb joseph sure i just don't see it yeah i i would i would look at wins and say let's see what this kid's got Maybe we'll have, you know, the hotshot kids play catcher for the Orioles. Sure. Okay. But not a guy like Andrew Susak. He brings nothing different than what Caleb Joseph brings, unless they have said to Caleb, hey, you need to work on your defense. You need to focus on your defense. And he's failed to do that. So let's talk about Caleb Joseph's defense a little bit. Let's do it. And in your opinion, because I've heard this knock on Caleb Joseph so far this season, what is the knock on Caleb Joseph's defense this year? I've heard caught stealing is one of the aspects. I, I've heard caught stealing is is that as well. Okay, so but, but I, I just pulled up Caleb Joseph's pop times. Okay, which we know that's a huge sure. indication on whether or not a catcher is going to be successful. Caleb Joseph right now ranks 29th in Major League Baseball with a pop time of 1.99. If you're under 2.10, you're good. Is the best way to describe. It. As long as the pitcher is doing you know okay, if you're under 2.10, you're in good shape. So. I don't see anything here from a Caleb Joseph thing that screams bad pop-up times. Yes, his cost stealings have been not great. I believe it was 21% when he was sent down. But that's not all on Caleb Joseph. And I think looking at a caught stealing aspect is a really terrible stat in all honesty. I, I also don't know if there's anybody that can look at you with a straight face and say Caleb Joseph is the reason that this team is not winning games. Right. You know? Right. It's like you're you're really moving the deck chairs on the Titanic at that point, aren't you? Yeah. The, the other thing is you, we talked about it before about – um, a light bat. I think Caleb Joseph is never going to be this, you know, slugger and ever going to be at the top order. Caleb Joseph is either always going to bat eighth or ninth in this in this order. Um, but every team needs an eight or nine hitter, right? And you know, 
again, coming back to a larger sample size, over the past 30 days, Caleb Joseph has had 41 at-bats. During this time, he has posted a 275 average, a 293 on-base percentage, and a 500 slugging percentage. Good for a 110 weighted runs created plus. And that's over a 30-day sample size for 40 at-bats. Now, is that going to go down eventually? Absolutely. I mean, it's going to go down. But there was nothing over the past 30 days that screamed to you, yeah, Caleb Joseph isn't doing well at the plate. He's doing okay. And in fact, 110 would actually be considered to be pretty darn good for this team. 10% above average. Right. A 10% above league average. Yeah. You know, might be 50% above (laughs) average for the Orioles. But I look at this and I say, okay, it's not as bad as people are making it out to be. I think sometimes we get into these perspectives of, well, Caleb Joseph is kind of boring and it doesn't really give us anything in addition. And I think the Orioles were saying, what can we do in order to make a move and in order to change things up? And I think Palmer's point, which is like, why would you make this move? It doesn't do you any good. And the guy was just getting hot. Why would you make this move? So I think it's a very curious move. And it hasn't seen a lot of backlash, I guess, is the biggest thing. And I think it's an interesting aspect because in reality, it probably doesn't move the needle one way or the other. But it's a really weird move that... If Buck was calling the shots, it'd be really odd that Buck would say, yep, I want to send down Joseph. Well, here's a question I've got for you. I, I look at a guy like Caleb Joseph, and I would think he's popular in the clubhouse. Sure. Right? Um, and I would think he's close with the pitching staff. Is it possible that mm-hmm. our view of Joseph and his role on the club in the clubhouse is maybe different from reality? Is it possible that... You know, this was a an HR move. Is it possible that you look at the twenty five guys, you look at the ones that are optional, and uh, optionable, and you you option a guy that you know maybe there was a problem there. Is is maybe you know some of the guys pitching are having trouble throwing to him? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I, the I think to, the answer to this is no. I I agree. I yes. think it's probably not the case. But when you look at all the things that you just pointed out, he's not that horrific defensively. He's you know not that horrific offensively, at least not in the last month. There's got to be something else going on that we're just not privy to. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a stupid move. It's a really confusing move. And again, I don't think it's getting. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But I do think it's one of those situations where a lot of people are not really kind of being like, why did you make this move? Like, what was the thinking behind this? Like, what's the rationale? What are you trying to do here? And it was more of a a narrative of historical situations, which is um, Giovanni Gariato-esque is the best way to describe it in terms of the uh, all the beat writers. Um, all right. Can we go to home, home plate? Please. All let's right. do it. So, Jake, I have to ask you, how bad can Chris Davis actually get? Bad. So over the past 30 days, Chris Davis has had 89 plate appearances. He is posting a 165 average, a 202 on-base percentage, and a 204 WOBA. Look, I don't really care about average. I've rallied about this for Chris Davis many, many times. I really don't care. But when the extra base hits and the home runs start going away and the slugging percentage starts to mirror the on-base percentage... Things are not looking good for Chris Davis. Chris Davis, so far over the past 30 days, is posting a 21 weighted runs created plus. Good for a negative 0.8 war. So Dylan Bundy-esque, basically. Well, I mean, it's a good thing we're not paying him very much. Right. We could just bench him, bench him any time. Yeah. I mean, we could release him because he's not uh, eating up that much payroll. Yeah. I, I guess the question is, 
at, at what point do you say Chris Davis is never going to get it back and it's time to cut bait? And I don't think it's that time just yet. But at what point do the Orioles have to say, Chris, you just can't cut it in the major leagues anymore? Well, it is a good thing for Chris Davis. It is a good thing for Chris Davis that the Orioles are not better. Because if the Orioles were in this thing, if they were in the playoff hunt, sure. If they were <laughs> if they were 500, you might look at this team and you might say, "Boy, they are one good Chris Davis away from being a good club." But instead, this is an awful team. No, I'm sorry. This is a god awful team that's one Chris Davis away from being an awful team. Yeah. Right? So if you have to spend any time trying to get Chris Davis right, this is the time to do it. For anybody who complains that he's in the fifth hole and he shouldn't be, yeah. he's in the fifth hole in a bad team. Yeah. And if he can get himself right by playing a whole season and working with Scott Coolball and doing all the things that he's been saying that he's going to do for the last three years, do it. Because, you know, he's going to be here. Right. Hopefully, hopefully the rebuild will finish while his contract is still here. You raise an interesting point, and it is the aspect of we've, to a certain regard, admitted that it is a sunken season. Sure. So you're not really losing anything by basically seeing him skirt through the rest of the season in this regard. However, at the beginning of next season, there has to have a conversation of going into next year, is this something that is going to significantly improve our chance to win games? Because in reality— more than likely, the Orioles are not going to compete for a playoff spot next year. But More than likely. More than likely. But you do have to put a, at least your best foot forward and say, at the beginning of the year, anybody has a chance to get that wild card spot. Especially the second wild card spot. Anybody has a chance to get that second wild card spot. So why don't you go ahead and position yourself in, in a manner that you're not having these negative war contributing players on your team? And Chris Davis is that individual. I mean, what point do you basically say... Chris Davis is going to go to my bench and we're not going to use him for anything besides a pinch hitter and roll. The Orioles would literally have to put their money where their mouth is. Right. They would literally have to put their money in their mouth is, uh, in order to say, we spent this money on Chris Davis. It was special Chris Davis money that had no bearing on our organizational budget. And, and if that's the case, as they try to sell us on, then they could cut that dude and say, this has nothing to do with how we're going to run our organization from here forward. Right. I don't buy that. I don't think it's true. But that's exactly what would have to happen. And having said all that, I think the only reason that makes sense for the Orioles to do that is if they look at who they have in the minors in the outfield sure, and say, we want to play, uh, you know, DJ Stewart and and Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins in the outfield. Sure. So we need to move Trey Mancini back to first base. Right. Right? Exactly. That's the only reason that I can think of. No, I completely agree with you. And I think that is the only reason you would make said, said move is saying, we have enough outfield prospects now that we feel like we can make um, a significant uh, part portion of this and basically turn this into old school 2110, uh, like back in the day, <laughs> and say, we're going to put them out there. We're going to make them our outfield. And we're going to basically ask Trey to basically be our first baseman for the future going forward. And I don't think the Orioles are at that point yet, and I completely agree with you that I'm okay seeing this experiment through through the end of the season, as frustrating as it may be. But at the end of the year, the Orioles are going to have to answer the tough question if Chris Davis can't rebound whatsoever. 
we're not looking at this the right way. Okay. I keep saying the Orioles need to change their marketing and the fact that they need to be selling us on the fact that we could come to the ballpark every night, buy a ticket, bring your kids for free, and have the opportunity to see history in the making every night. Chris Davis has a chance in his contract to make history. Now, I I saw this in the Orioles subreddit, and I want to bring it up. If you look at the career leaders for strikeouts, Chris Davis is shockingly high. In 11 seasons, at age 32, and I mean, how long does he have left on his contract? Is it four years? Four years, I believe, yeah. Chris Davis has has amassed, uh, as of tonight, uh, Monday, May 21st, 1,564 strikeouts. Wow. Which is tied for 48th on the all-time list of strikeout leaders. Now, you ask yourself, okay, fine, what does that mean? Well, let's just put that in perspective. At number 18, for all-time leaders in Major League history for a career, number 18, Mark Reynolds at 1808. Excuse me, former Oriole. Uh, Mark Reynolds. Number one, of course, is Reggie Jackson with 2,597. 2,597. Let's go back to Chris Davis. Chris Davis, 1,564. Chris Davis is 32, right? Yep. He's going to play for at least four more years. Hmm. He's got a four-year contract. Mm. Okay, let's pretend for a minute. Okay. Bear with me. Okay. Four more years. 200 strikeouts a year. That's 800 strikeouts to add to that 1,500. That puts him at 23. Yeah. Scotty, if he hangs on in the league, that puts him at 36. Yep. If he hangs on for another two years, yep. he has a real chance to be the all-time strikeout leader in Major League history. That's impressive. That's Look, impressive. You, you and I probably agree that he probably won't play enough to get that. Oh, no. But he has a real chance. This is a real thing. He may be historically bad. Reggie Jackson had other stuff going for him. By the way, the, re- <laughs> <laughs> the rest of that list, Reggie Jackson, one, two, former Oriole Jim Tomey, uh, three, Adam Dunn, four, Sammy Sosin, five, Alex Rodriguez. Six, Andre, Andreas Galarraga. Seven, Jose Canseco. Uh, eight is... Speaking Will, of cocaine. <laughs> eight is Willie Stargell. Uh, nine is Mike Cameron. And uh, ten is Mike Jack Schmidt. Uh, oh, you mean the guy that's better than Brooks Robinson? Absolutely. So Chris Davis could be historic. So maybe all these strikeouts that we're whining about while our team is not going to win anyway, maybe we should be embracing it. Maybe we should. Maybe we should also come back to the point of last year when people were just like, yeah, I hope the Orioles give up five runs because if so, then the streak continues <laughs> and the idiocy that that is about. So, no, let's not hope that continues. All right. If he ends up number two, wait, wait, stop. Wait, okay. I, I got this. I okay. got this. If he ends up number two all time, he will be the official Major League Baseball strikeout deputy. Mm, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um. All right. You want to find out um, who uh, who wants the fantasy boss this week? Let's do it. All right, let, let's pull up the numbers. And um, wow, these are pathetic. Oh. 
So, Jake, another razor-thin victory for me this week. Uh, as the uh, Orioles make it difficult to expect that there will be baseball events to count on for Fantasy Boss. In fact, we even had the recommendation this week from the Twitterverse uh, indicating that maybe we should pick two players going forward <laughs> just to hedge the bet, basically, for Fantasy Boss. Um, so this past week, we picked Dongs. Uh, I picked uh, Jonathan Scope, who had one. And you picked Trey Mancini, who had zero. Um, which Hang on. Let me, let me just do the math right yeah. there. Carry the one. No, no, the one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh. Does the check out? Oh. Take the square root of it. It sure does. Yep. So, Jake, we're at a tie now, four to four. That's the saddest tie. It is the saddest tie. But, Jake, you get to pick a new category. I've got a great one. Okay. All right. I've got a great one, and, you know, you called me the poli guy originally, so mm-hmm. we're going to move into creative writing Okay. for this portion of it. I don't like so much the numbers. Scott, I like the stories mm-hmm. that go with Fantasy Boss. So he, follow me on this one. Manny Machado has as many home runs. Actually, no. Come Monday night yep. here on May the 21st, Manny Machado has more wins or more more home runs than the Orioles have wins. Yeah. Right? That's crazy. Absolutely. That's crazy, right? But that's one of those beautiful number things. Sure. So I want you and I to pick each of us a different, most absurd either or. Okay. Okay. So uh, I've I've got uh, I've got a really good one. Okay. And I'm going to give you this as an example. Okay. My absurd either or is: Will there be over the course of the next week more hits by the Orioles? Okay. Or more stolen bases by Major League Baseball clubs? More hits by the Orioles or more stolen bases by Major League Baseball now, clubs? Now that, that I I've just picked the category and I'm going to pick okay one or the other. Yeah. You are going to pick an absurd either or, oh, okay. and then pick which one you think is going to happen. Gotcha. And then whichever one of us is right will win fantasy boss. And if we both win or both lose, then it's a tie. Okay, I can. We can do this. That All right. So, good. so my absurd category is more Oriole hits or more stolen bases across Major League Baseball, and my selection is stolen bases. Okay. So you think the there's going to be more stolen bases this week? Than I think Orioles hits. I think 29 teams. Will right. steal more bases than one team will will record hits. Gotcha. Um, okay, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, so my category this week is going to go uh, into an either or, and I'm going to go with um, in. I'm not going to go to the White Sox series, but in the upcoming Rays series, um, the total runs scored for the Rays series, or the amount of strikeouts that Chris Davis has this week, which one will be higher? <laughs> Sco- Wait, scored by both teams? Uh, no, 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 no. Scored just by the Orioles. Oh, Oreo runs against the Rays or, or Chris Davis strikeouts. That's for the entire week. That's delightful. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So Davis' strikeouts for the week. For the week. Versus runs scored in the Rays series. Yes. Oh, man. That's good. <laughs> which do you think is going to happen? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> So part of me thinks Chris Davis is going to ride the bench a few times this week, so maybe it'll be low enough. But a part of me also knows that the Orioles are going to do terrible against the Rays as well. So I think if I'm going with a higher number, I have to go with Chris Davis' strikeouts over the Orioles' runs during the Rays series. I, am I, I mean, I know the Orioles just rocked the Rays last week for 17-1, to but you know regression to the mean is going to happen. So I'm going to pick... Strikeouts by Chris Davis over run score during the race series. Scotty, I look, I don't want to drive 
what happens with fantasy boss all season. But I think there's a really good chance that we should do this every week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So fantasy boss this week will either uh, I win by predicting that there will be more stolen bases by major league clubs than Orioles hits over the next week, or will Scott win by predicting that there will be more Chris Davis strikeouts over the course of the week than Orioles runs in the Tampa Bay series? <laughs> Who will own it? Uh, Birdland. Uh, Bird's Eye View listeners, I beg you, ask us what your over, or tell us what your over-unders are, your absurd over-unders, your absurd either-ors for Fantasy Boss this week are, tweet us at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L, and uh, we will mention the good ones on next week's show. Oh my goodness. All right, let's get good, let's get bad, and let's get ugly. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And while we search for the first third of that, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Scotty, I've got a good one this week. Okay. My good for this week, if you can believe it, is the Orioles' front office. Oh, yeah, I'm serious. The Orioles' front office did a good thing. Okay. And I want to uh, I want to praise them for it. I don't know that you can really say that it's this week, but... I'm grabbing at straws. Sure. So my good this week for the Orioles front office is uh, the fact that they let go of Nestor Cortez. See, here's the thing. Good and bad, the ugly. I always look up the Orioles stats for the past week to see who did well, who did not well for the week. And I forgot to filter out by the seven days. And so looking at the pitching stats, I I was affronted by the Nestor Cortez stat line. And it got me to thinking, oh, that's right. We used to have that guy. He was the crying in the rain guy. What's he doing now? Well, Scotty, let me tell you what Nestor Cortez is doing now. Nestor Cortez is, I assume, relieving for uh, the New York Yankees AAA affiliate, which plays in uh, Scranton slash Wilkes Bar, um, the Rail Riders. Okay. okay. And, uh, you know, he was let go by the Orioles in time to show up for uh, the Rail Riders game on April the 16th. And since then, he has appeared in what looks like six, seven games. Um, and it's not good. Against AAA hitting, Nestor Cortez Jr. is, uh, is working to a crisp 4.74 ERA. Oof. There is there have been two of the f- of the seven appearances in which he has failed to give up earned runs. Um, it's not going well for him. And so, uh, look, I wish the dude no ill will, but the Orioles made the right call in dropping him. Let me just ask you this, Scott. As miserable as it has been for the Orioles over the past uh, season, all of it, wouldn't it be that much worse to be watching Nestor Cortez come into games? Yes. Yes, it would. Good on you, Orioles, for making it hurt that much, not so much. Yeah. Um, so my good, since there really is nothing going on in Birdland, was um, I thought there was a really good article this past week that I wanted to kind of emphasize, and it kind of comes back to the statistical analysis. There was an article posted on Baseball Prospectus this past week called 
the siren song of Statcast expected metrics. And I thought it was a really good article in this regard of, you know, we have had on this program for Fantasy Boss um, such stats as XWOBA um, and kind of looking at the aspect of expected weighted on base average on the basis of batted ball velocity and launch angle and looking at what that may tell us in terms of um, future prediction. And it was a really interesting aspect because, you know, when you look at a methodology that has an X in front of it and it basically is described as expected, you would think, well, that's going to be predict pretty well. And obviously it's been thoroughly vetted. But this Baseball Perspectives article actually goes through this whole aspect with pitchers and really shows the aspect of, you know, XWOBA really isn't that much better than tried and true, you know, models in the past, such as FIP, DRA, uh, Sierra. And, and it, it kind of comes back to the point of, you know, if you're going to name something and basically call it the the newest technology, it should stand out from previous models. So I think this is a really good observation of, I think, since the StatCast era has come live, we've all basically embraced it, including, you know, TV personalities. But I think it's important for us to basically standardize it versus um, metrics that we have used historically for a long period of time in terms of what does this really tell us about future performance? You know, it's really great that we can take a look at X-Velocity launch angle, and I think we can all emphasize that aspect of like, yep, that makes sense. But I think when we start to get into these modeling aspects of such as XWOBA, um, I think we need to give consideration of what does this really tell us that current models don't tell us? And again, I think this Baseball Perspectives article did a really good job of um, at least shedding some light on that for me. So that's my good for the week. So the best thing that happened in Orioles baseball this week was a publication by uh, by somebody else? Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the bad. <clears throat> and uh, my bad for this week was anyone who hoped. Mm. Anyone who dared to hope you're bad this week. And I'm specifically, of course, talking about David Hess. Um, Hess pitched. Uh, he had a great start. He had a, a really good first start. And then he pitched again. Yep. I have some uh, some folks at work who are really excellent baseball minds, and I have some folks at work who aren't. And some in the latter category pointed out to me, hey, we were really excited about Mike Wright Jr., Mm-hmm. After his first start, remember yep. that yep. seven scoreless against or the Angels. Like that? Yeah, yep, yeah. David Hess's second start was not so good. Four point two innings. He gave up five earned runs. You know he was good until he wasn't. And here's the thing: either Hess will be a, a decent major league pitcher, or he won't. We don't know what's going to happen after just two starts in the majors. I'm not going to say that he's Mike Wright Jr. versus not. But what I will say is that if you watched his first start in which he went six innings pitched and gave up three earned runs and was, you know, pretty okay and and deserved another start, and you had reason to hope, shame on you. Yep. You have not been paying attention in 2018. You, this week, are bad. And honestly, if David Hess doesn't get together, obviously Miguel Castro is waiting in the wings to take his spot. You know, the truck will just have to back up. We'll put him on it, and then we'll have the Hess truck. Oh, man. No. No. Wolf. All right. My bad for the week's going to go to Jonathan Scope. Um, you know, we were talking about it's going to be nice to get Jonathan Scope back on this team. Maybe it'll be uh, some, you know, fresh blood and, you know, we'll get some of that offensive prowess back at the plate. Um, but Jonathan Scope over the past week has posted a 105 average, a 182 on base percentage, and a 15 weighted runs created plus. Uh, Jonathan Scope had a really bad week, uh, along with a few other Orioles players, but Jonathan Scope. Um, 
not great, especially being right at the top of the order, too. So Jonathan Scopes gets my my bad for the week. My ugly for the week is the Baltimore Orioles experience. And I'm not sure if it's so much this week as it is just the whole season. But uh, let me tell you, I, I took Henry camping this summer or this this weekend. So we were, um, you know, we were out camping. We left on, on Friday evening and we came back on Sunday afternoon and they had me hopping all weekend. I was cooking and, and, and camping and hiking and all the rest. And I didn't have a moment to stop and think about, I wonder how the Orioles are doing. Yeah. Right. Didn't fire it up on the phone, got no signal. Well, it's I, not like your phone was working. I was just <laughs> incommunicado all weekend. So we finally, we got home on Sunday afternoon, unpacked the car, got inside, collapsed on the couch. I turned on the game. It was the fifth inning of the the series finale against the Red Sox, and the Orioles were already down 5 nothing. And I was like, you know what? I didn't miss anything. Yeah. I didn't need this in my life all weekend. And I just thought to myself, like, man, that really sucks. That I can be away from an activity, which is watching the Orioles, that I just love everything about. And this season has gone as such that you get away from it for a little bit and you're like, meh. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bummer. It's just a bummer. That's ugly. Uh, my ugly for the week is going to go to, as we talked about earlier, Dylan Bundy, who's been posting some pretty terrible stats. Um, 6.0 ERA, 7.97 FIP. Um, you know, good strikeout rate, but that home run ball needs to come down. And uh, over the past week, he only had one start, 4.50 uh, home runs per nine. Dylan Bundy needs to get the long ball basically solved in a hurry um, or else, again, he's not going to do so well going forward. Um, so Dylan Bundy, you're ugly. You're on notice. The stakes are low, though. The stakes are low. Absolutely. All right. Um, should we blow the save? Let's do it. Jake, um, we're entering into um, an interesting part of the year. It, it's graduation season, and uh, people are graduating and going out into the workforce to look for jobs. So it's a good time in life to potentially get out there, brush up the resume, and maybe spruce up your LinkedIn a little bit and um, you know, put some information out there to say, here's who I am, and here's what I need to be. So uh, Jake, I, I came across this LinkedIn article, and um, I thought I'd go through it. So um, this individual uh, has uh, education at Amherst College with a Bachelor of Arts in English. Hey, Bachelor's of Arts, I'm all about. Yeah. Um, had activities both in baseball and football. Um, a member of a fraternity, Delta Epsilon Delta. Um, a newspaper columnist, radio broadcaster, and a public relations and development. Hmm. All right. Sounds good. Um this individual later went on to do um, some stuff in the Northeast doing um, uh, flight recruiting, recruiting, developmental operations, and just dealing stuff with uh, a major sports brand up in the, in, in the Northeast. Um, and then he said, you know what? I really don't want to deal um, with something of that kind of levitude. I'm going to go ahead and um, become a managing partner for you know some youth sports camps out there and uh, really help to develop those for years to come. And then, you know, opening up an academy, becoming the director of that, and really, you know, focusing on the aspect of child development. And then we move into the present where this individual currently is. Um, and this, of course, we're talking about the executive vice president of baseball operations, Dan Duquette, who uh, 
upon coming across his LinkedIn profile, um, and this came over from a listener of the show, um, at jbauer68, otherwise known as Josh, um, he posted and showed us a indica- indication that uh, under Dan Duquette's LinkedIn profile, his experience with the Baltimore Orioles is as such. Rebuild Orioles. <laughs> it is the only experience under the Orioles where the other ones are like managing director of premier sports property, sports management consultant, uh, recruiting of international talent for a fledgling professional league. Under the Orioles, it is Rebuild Orioles. The amount of disdain in that description for the Baltimore Orioles reeks off the screen. And I found it personally very amusing. So, well, I, I think it's clear though. Yes. Rebuild Orioles is a stand in for fetch coffee. Absolutely. Uh, f- f- fetch Mr. Anderson's coffee. Right. Uh, make copies for Mr. Anderson. Right. Whatever it may be, you know, go get me a new knee. So that's rebuild Orioles. Exactly. So, Dan Duquette is out there brushing up the uh, brushing up his resume, brushing up his LinkedIn, and looking for that next opportunity out there in the space. So if you're looking to hire, Dan Duquette's listening, and he can rebuild even the worst case of organizations allegedly. And that that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to reach us is at Twitter, where we tweet at B. A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. For anybody that actually got to this end of this episode, congratulations. Like, serious, mass congratulations. Give yourself a pat on the back. And just let us know via tweet that you got to the end of this episode, because I guarantee nobody did. Jockey! still here? It's over. Go home. Go.